Welcome to the Rock Church Audio Podcast. We are so glad that you joined us today. Rock Church is located on Harrison Avenue between Mulford and Perryville Roads in Rockford, Illinois. Now let's join Pastor Jared with today's message. But let's listen to uh, the words of Paul as he writes them to the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own child, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the truth that it delivers to us. And we ask, Lord God, that in this moment that we share together, may our hearts be opened and may our ears have the ability to hear those things that you are wanting to speak. And I pray that what is established and what is accomplished, Lord, would not just be Um, significant for us as individuals, Lord, but may it do a work within the body that things that um, are of your kingdom would be established and that we would just have uh, a fresh vision, Lord God, for what it means to be your people. Lord, I pray for August 3rd as our pastoral staff sets that time aside. And Lord, There are so many weighty decisions in front of us. And Lord, we pray for Your will to be done. We pray, God, for You to speak clearly to us. And may we see and hear afresh and anew what Your assignments are for this body. And Lord, we pray to this end that Your name would be glorified, Your church would be a light, and that Your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And whatever the path to that end looks like, Lord God, we pray that you would lead us. Lord, we pray for the upcoming school year. And Lord, I just pray grace and wisdom and favor, Lord God, upon every educator, every administrator, every parent, every student. And Lord, as uh, decisions are being made to uh, determine what the right course of action is, Lord, I pray that you would just lift the confusion and you would bring about, Lord God, a result that will uh, facilitate, Lord God, the education of our children and, and our, our, our teachers, Lord God, being fulfilled and, 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 and rewarded and, and filled with joy, Lord God, as they serve in the capacity of teaching. So, Lord, we just ask that uh, we, your people, in the middle of it all, would reveal your goodness and glory. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as we turn back uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you might be saying, this looks a little familiar. And if you had kind of that initial reaction, um, you are You are accurate because we were literally just in this place uh, two weeks ago. We went through verses 1 through 6, talking about how the the unchanging message of the gospel 
is what holds us together and empowers us to walk through seasons of adversity and ongoing trial. And going back several weeks ago, you know, I felt uh, the Lord just kind of impressing direction upon my heart for the last few weeks, and I didn't anticipate to be landing in verses 7 and 8, but as I began to study out kind of the topic and the theme that I felt like the Lord wanted us to focus on this morning, lo and behold, I just find myself right back in verses 7 and 8, and something really uh, great happened, and I trust that this happens in your life too. That uh, even though you may have read the Bible over and over and certain passages are familiar, you, you find yourself in those places and times where you read something again and it just comes alive and it's made fresh and you see something that you didn't see before and your heart is just ministered to. And I found myself in that uh, moment this week as I was looking at our text. Just like, wow, God, you're so good. You know, you lead us and then you provide something that just unfolds your heart for us. I felt like that's what was happening this week as I prepared to bring the word to you. And what we are going to focus on is the topic of relationship. Relationship. I think that when we look at it in the broader context of uh, the, the church that Paul is writing to, We've already unpacked in verses 1 through 6 that Paul is reminding them that your faith has endured because of the unchanging message of the gospel that I have brought to you. Then I believe that in verses 7 and 8, he's striking an equally important point in that he is reminding them of the way that he related to them, the way that his leadership was poured out into their lives. And in doing so, he is saying, you know, the message of the gospel is unchanging, and it is that substance that sees us through the the hard times in life. But then he's also focusing their attention on the reality that relationship is a bond within the body of Christ that also equally helps us go through the challenging times and the ongoing trials that life brings to us. So from that point of of understanding, we're going to look at uh, really three different things that I believe Paul is is, is communi- communicating to us in relation to the value, the importance, and the priority of relationship within the body of Christ. And I want to give you one uh, really simple point to begin, and it's this. You need to concede your need for others. You need to recognize that relationship is essential to living out your faith. And Paul gives us a, a, a word picture here that communicates this truth very, very well. And we see it in verse 7 where he writes, But we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own child. Here's the image that he's putting in front of the church. He's he's reminding them. He's saying, this is how I related to you and this is how you need to relate to one another. It looks very much like the relationship between a mother and their child. And there really is no more loving, more dear, more tender picture 
than a mother holding a completely dependent newborn in her hands and doing all that she can to bring safety and life and love to that newborn child. And Paul is saying, that is what your relationships should look like. Because the relationships that you have one to another are meant to be life-giving. They are meant to be the catalyst by which growth comes to you spiritually. It is one of the means by which you are to be fed so that you can mature in your faith. So just like a child needs its mother, you need one another. We have to understand that that relationship is central to the church. And you know, part of the reason why I feel like that is a a very important point to make again this morning is because there is an alternative view being given to us by our culture. And it concerns me. Because the world is saying to the body of Christ, you can settle for something less. We're, 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 We're being told that that, 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 that relationship is being redefined into something that is shallow and not deep. You know, I see kind of the notion that we gain electronically is, is one thing that speaks to this. You know, all that you have to do is interact with somebody on a, on a platform, and all of a sudden you are their friend. And there's no depth, and there's no substance, and there's very little life-giving power to it. But yet, our world and our society want to say, this is relationship. Paul is saying, no, church, relationship is much deeper than that. You know, we're being told that within our society, relationships are defined by agreement. And that in a relationship, when you get to the point of maybe where you're disappointed, you disagree, and you don't see eye to eye, you have license to break that relationship and to go another way. When Paul is reminding us that the relationship that we have one to another is to be like that between a mother and her child. So I make that very simple and clear point again this morning because there are voices and forces at work in your life and some of us have invited those things into us and what into our lives and what they are trying to do is to reconstruct and redefine the, nat- the nature of what it looks like to be in relationship. I'm calling us to a higher standard, one that we find within the Word of God, one that is to be unique to the church. And then above and beyond all of this, there are some things that are spoken over us that push us away from one another as opposed to bringing us together. Some 
some counselors and psychiatrists say, okay, well, you're an extrovert, so you are going to be more for people. You're an introvert, and uh, you don't have a place for people in your life because of the way that you are wired. And I want to say that is not true. We are all different. We are all wired a little bit differently. But from the Word of God, we know this. We were hardwired for relationship. God said of Adam after he was created, it is not good for him to be alone. You know, Jesus put it this way. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul and in all of your ways acknowledge him. But then we're called to take it the next step further and that relationship we have with God is to define the relationship that we have with one another and that we love our neighbor as ourself. You know, we're told within the epistles of the New Testament that we are to give and to support one another, especially those who are within the household of faith. So there is this, this idea that flows from the Scripture that says, you are hardwired for relationship. You need one another just like a child needs its mother. And it's a significant truth that must define our lives and the reason why we view relationship differently is because when we put our faith in Christ and enter into relationship with one another we are no longer valued for for what we have what we can do where we have come from or what we have accomplished but rather we are Our value is found in that we are all made in the image and the likeness of God. There is a divine fingerprint upon every one of us because we are His creation. And when we are in faith and in Christ, the fullness of that design reaches its potential. And every one of us, we're knit together in our mother's womb. And because of that, we are not defined by what we have, what we do, where we come from, or what we have accomplished. So, our response to one another can never be this. I don't need you. I don't value you. Because that is not what the Scriptures teach us. But rather, we are to understand that God has put us together to reach our full potential in Him. And that's the beauty of it all. Alone, we are incomplete. Together, we are whole. That's why Paul tells the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you know, some of you are, are one part of the body, others of you are another part of the body. And one part is not more important than the other, but you all share equal value. But the Scriptures take it beyond this. It's beyond just being in relationship. It's beyond just having a connection in Christ that unites us. Because we, we see within our text 
what the nature of our relationships should be like. So we concede our need for one another, but then we understand this, that we are called to cultivate deep relationships. Our relationships are to have substance. I, I'm going to take you back to verse 8 here, and, and, and I want you to, to hear it afresh and anew, because this was one of the, the verses that just popped off at me, and I just kind of felt like I saw it from a, from a different angle. Listen to what Paul is saying. He says, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become dear to us. There's the target body of Christ. There is an image of what deep relationships within the church are called to look like. I want you to, to hear and to see the substance and the depth of that statement. Paul is saying, I have affection for you. He is saying, I am longing for you. He is saying, I am willing to impart my life to you. Why? Because you have become dear to me. Sometimes we can, we, we, we can subscribe to the notion that, that a, a process that looks like that um, can't happen quickly. But I, I would remind you of this. Paul did not have the ability to stay with them long. He was run out of town by a mob. He was so concerned that he didn't know if the church was going to make it. Brand new baby believers in a city that, that stood against the gospel they had just received. But yet in that short period of time, we see him telling the church, because of what the Lord had done in our midst, <laughs> I have affection for you, I long for you, I, I impart my life to you, you are dear to me. And I would just ask this question, who wouldn't want to have relationships of that kind of depth? And I really believe that because of how we're hardwired, we are, we long for relationships that look like that. And in verse 8, Paul is Reminding us of these simple takeaways. We should not take relationships lightly. We should work to cultivate deep relationships. We have to do more than just reach out to others, but we have to share our lives with others as well. And I would add to that, all of that requires effort. All of that is a part of counting the cost. When we are committed to cultivating deep relationships, all of a sudden our, our time and our talent and our treasures are not just our own, but rather they are things that are to be poured out in the lives of the people that God has connected us to. Because that cultivates a depth of relationship. So how do we move beyond theory to the practical application and to, to the living out of what Paul is talking about? What's the basis for cultivating deep relationship? What are the characteristics that have to be a part of our lives 
as we relate to one another. There are three words that we can pull out of those two verses. and I'm going to make a confession. You're going you're to remember the first two very easily because they rhyme. But I didn't have the time or uh, didn't come to the wordsmithing uh, expertise to make the third one fit. So we got two that rhyme and one that's going to kind of feel like it's standing all out there on its own, but they're connected because they're characteristics of, of um, cultivating deep relationship. And the first one is this, it's care. There, there is no depth of relationship without care. Verse 7, as a nursing mother nurtures her own child. And I want to just add a couple of simple thoughts to this idea of what care should look like within the context of our relationships. In kind of the starting place, right? Because you know, if, if, uh, if, you, if you don't start well, it's always more work to try to redeem, Right? So here's how we start well. Here's how we exercise care. I'm going to give you a phrase. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So the kind of care that uh, Paul is not calling us to is the kind where we, um, we self-deputize ourselves. And we interact with people you know, based upon uh, what we think they are doing right and what we think they are doing wrong. That has a way of severing relationship and keeping relationship shallow. So know this, cultivating a depth of relationship not only involves the mind, but it also involves the heart. The heart in the sense that we are operating from a position of love, and because of that, we are not making our care conditional. Our care conditional. Well, if you do X, Y, and Z, I will do this for you. The bottom line is this. As we, as we care for one another, if the Lord says, hey, this is what I would have you to do, do it. We're called to care for one another. Because here's the, here's the, um, kind of the, the, this is what deep relationships look like. We walk through the mess and the mountaintop. We walk through the mess and the mountaintop. It's, it's always a lot more fun to stand on the mountaintop and to, and to put a flag in the ground and say, look what God has done, and to celebrate the answer to prayer, to celebrate the victory, to celebrate the good thing that has happened. Who doesn't want to do that, right? But when we are cultivating deep relationship, the mountaintop is so much more fulfilling and rewarding. When you've walked through the swamp and the bog and the mess, and you're bloody, and you're sweaty, and you have said, I'm going to walk through the worst of it all with my brother or my sister. Because I know, I know that when we get to the other side, wow, there is going to be joy in that celebration. 
cultivating deep relationships. It moves us beyond the point of, of being acquaintances to the place of being brothers and sisters. So we care. And then we share, verse 8. We were pleased to share with you our own lives. This idea of sharing here co- reminds us that you can't share from a distance. Paul is saying, I am pouring my life out. I am in close proximity. I am longing for you. I have affection for you in my heart. There There is a connection here that even though they may be geographically far apart because he had to leave Thessalonica, there is a bond of relationship that is close to the heart. He was doing everything that he could see them succeed and to grow in their faith. And when we build those bridges and we share our lives to that degree, this is what happens. We are bound together. You see, this is why people can can move away and you still feel close. Because in the times that you shared together, when they call again and you pick up the phone, you just you pick up right where you left off. That's why we celebrate what God is doing in Jack's life. Not in the state of Illinois anymore, but yet a young man that we pray for, support, and encourage, and we celebrate when we hear the good reports. Why? Because we've shared life. We understand the value of deep relationship. But here's what happens when we, when we share to that degree. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just um, really focus in on one very specific thing because I'm convinced that this is one of the ways um, that things go wrong quickly and very often. When we care and when we share and those bonds are formed and deep relationship is being cultivated, it inevitably brings you to a place where you have difficult things to talk about. They are the failures of life. They are the things you wish you could undo. They are the missteps that you have made. They are the words that you can't take back. They are the things that happen to you that you couldn't plan for or prescribe. And they're all a part of our journey And as we relate to one another in deep relationship, undoubtedly there are conversations and moments where these things come up because there's a trust that's established. And when that trust is established, the walls come down and there are moments where people say, you know what, I I think I can take take that thing out of the closet and I can put it out in the open because you know what, I know i got to deal with it some more. And I want to remind us today as a, as a body that when we are in that kind of space and life is being shared to that kind of level, there is a, a sacred stewardship that has to be a part of that trust. 
Because if a day later it shouted from the mountaintops and the person who has just bore their soul now knows that uh, many of their most painful things have been shared with folks that they don't have confidence in, trust has been violated. So here's the thing. I pray that God will bring you to those vulnerable moments with somebody else. Because there you find healing. Oftentimes there you discover that they've gone through something similar and their testimony empowers you and helps you and aids you. So I pray that you come to those moments. I pray that you have relationships like that in your life. But know this, when you get to that place, there is a sacred stewardship that you must maintain. Trust must be protected and confidence must be given. So we cultivate deep relationships based upon care and sharing. And then I'm going to pull the word, out, the word dear out. That's the one I couldn't get to make fit in a rhyming way. I'm not that skilled of a wordsmith. Care and share and dear. Not as the deer pants for the water, but in verse 8, it's because you had become dear to me. A, a response of the heart. There was a love for one another. Um, a love that saw people not for what we could gain from them, but rather valued them for who they are. Valued them for the fact that they were, are in Christ. Valuing the fact that God had brought us together so that we can build one another up. And I want you to never forget this, church. Love is something that you do, not just something that you say. And that is one of the keys of moving to that place where we can say about one another, you had become dear to me. But it begins from a place of love and not viewing people as a resource that we can receive something from. Uh, I want to share a story with you that illustrates this, okay? I, um, several years ago, I was called for jury duty. One of your most favorite pieces of mail, right? A summons to go to jury duty. And uh, if you've ever had that experience, I've had it, I think, on three different occasions. Um, you know, you know, you go down to the courthouse and you start out in a room full of people, right? And, and then you've got to fill out some paperwork. And they're trying to exactly size up who's in the room. And that has historically served me well because when I put pastor down for occupation, I'm usually in the first group out the room. All right. But there was one particular um, time where I made it all the way into the courtroom. And, I, and on that occasion, you know, they, uh, they looked at our data, they broke us up into groups, they sent the group away, and I wasn't in it. So you're now in a group that's a little bit smaller and you're waiting, right? Because while you're waiting, the lawyers are doing what they need to do, and you know the court case is waiting for its turn before the judge, whatever. 
And uh, at the, um, uh, the table, you know, there were seven or eight of us, and we're just kind of chit-chatting and sharing life. And lo and behold, there was a guy at the table that shared uh, some common interests with me. You know, I love the outdoors. I, I, I love to canoe and hike and fish and hunt and just to be outdoors. And he shared the same, uh, the same interests. So that was kind of cool because it passed the time. We were able to kind of talk about things and share stories and whatever. And, and uh, as the conversation progressed, um, he says to me, hey, you know what? Um, I'd like to give you a piece of advice. I'm like, hey, great. I'll take all the help I can get, you know. And uh, he said, um, you, you, you want to know how uh, the best way uh, to get permission to hunt or fish or hike or canoe on other people's land? I said, well, yeah. I said, who, who can't use more places to go, right? And he said, um, and it was kind of funny because he, his, his voice kind of went down, you know, like here's a trade secret and kind of leaned in and he's kind of talking real soft and he says, you go to church. And I, I thought, oh, this is going to get fun. <laughs> he doesn't know I'm a pastor. You know? <laughs> we hadn't gotten to that place. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, I mean, do tell. Because <laughs> apparently I'm missing the boat here or something. No, but <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's like, you, you, know, you, uh, you pick a church, and you don't go to a city church, but you go to one that's close to the country, and and there's farmers in that church, and then as you're kind of around there a little bit, you learn who the farmers are, and then you kind of get to know them, and then you ask for permission, and you know what? Most of the time, they'll say yes, because they know you, and you're not just some unknown guy on the street knocking on their door. And I said, really? He's like, yeah. And uh, I said, that's interesting, because I'm going to I'm going to have to try that this coming Sunday after I'm done preaching. <laughs> and he just, <gasps> you know, his eyes got really big and so on and so forth. And uh, so I said, you know, I said, I know that to be true. I said, because, uh, you know, there's, I have a relationship with folks in our congregation that have been generous, and that's great. But here's my point. He was kind of sizing everybody up around him for what, you know, they could provide back to him. And that's not the way the body of Christ is called to function. We are called to be dear to one another and to pour our lives out for one another, not based upon what we can gain, but based upon the fact that we share the same Lord and the same baptism, and the same faith. And I just, I just want to say that, you know, that is, um, that's the way that I view my role here for any of you who are concerned about a phone call coming this afternoon. You know, I don't see one another for what we can gain, but I'm very, very, tuned into the reality of God's calling, which is this, shepherd the flock of God among you and do so 
without compulsion and not for selfish gain. And that scripture is the scripture that um, I've held on to. It's been on every cake for licensing and ordination and installation. And it's not just a calling that's unique to me, but it's a calling for all of us. We hold one another dear. Because of the love that we have that flows from what our Savior has done and how He's called to share, called us to share that with others. So the basis for cultivating deep relationship is caring and sharing and holding one another dear. And because of that, I want to remind us in closing that we are, we are called to commit to authenticity in our relationships. Authentic Christ-like relationships move us beyond being acquaintances to being brothers and sisters in Christ. And there are some certain characteristics of what that looks like. There's an authentication that can take place if we just kind of stop to, to, to evaluate what is present and what exists. And it's, it's not unlike a process that uh, we're all familiar with. You know, if you, um, if you have watched uh, what, like Antiques Roadshow or American Pickers or, you know, some other show of that nature where... Someone is bringing an item, and that item, you know, it might be a piece of artwork or jewelry or an antique, and they are, they are wanting to um, have it authenticated in order to establish the value for it. And the expert that looks at it authenticates it based upon certain characteristics. He'll look at the piece to see if there's a maker's mark. They'll look at the construction to see if it's consistent with the time period. They'll look at the piece to see if it shows the characteristics of age. And all of those things help that expert to arrive at a conclusion of whether this is real or whether this is fake. And there are certain characteristics that we've already talked about that that help us to evaluate whether or not we are experiencing authenticity in our relationships. And, and, and they are things you know, like the kinds of conversations that we have, you know, whether we are telling people the truth or not, whether we're wearing a mask when we're in relationship with one another, whether there's a vulnerability of heart, accountability, whether there's grace and love and tenderness flowing and how we relate to one another. Those are all things that we've already talked about that are characteristics of authentic relationship. But there is one characteristic that, in my estimation, the Western church has failed at and is lacking significantly. But it is one of the most difficult and trying things that we can go through, but in going through it, it authenticates the bonds and authenticity 
of our relationship. And it is simply what occurs when there are differences of opinion, disagreement, and dissatisfaction. Because as I mentioned in the beginning, our society says, when those things come, you have permission to go the other way. When the Lord says this, the relationships that we experience are defined by the covenant that we have with Him. And because of that, there is not an out clause and we are not told to run the other way when challenges and disappointments and difficulties arise. And Jesus had an awful lot to say about this. He says in Matthew that when you come to the temple and you bring your gift to the altar and you begin to pray, and you are reminded that there is something between you and your brother or your sister, you leave your gift at the altar and you go. So that's, that's one way we might be aware. We might hear of something. And Jesus says, if you hear, you go. But then in Matthew 18, Jesus covers the other base. He closes the other door that we might want to walk through as a way of not dealing with challenges and disagreements. Because he says, if you have something in your heart against a brother or a sister, you go to them. And I want to unpack this for just quickly in this last moment that we have. And I want to, I want to establish within you the value of working through the landmines that life brings to us. Because in doing so, it authenticates the depth of relationship that we have. So you can take the Matthew 18 chapter and read it on your own because Christ gives a clear pattern. These are not things to, to run away from, but rather these are things to embrace because there is a work established in us through this process. And let me remind you of this. The scriptures talk about iron sharpening iron. And, you know, we, we, we hear that a lot. You know, part, I heard it a lot in men's conferences, right? It's really kind of like, you know, this is, this is a part of what being in a relationship looks like. You know, iron sharpens iron, and I'm going to be made sharper and better and, and, and more effective through relationships, and we cheer that. But I want to remind you that that process involves um, heat and friction, which oftentimes we run away from, but Christ says, no, it's actually, it's actually something that authenticates relationship. So I'm going to mention to you what I told the 8 o'clock service because um, there's always an interesting response when this um, topic is um, approached. You know, that we, we kind of, we sink into our pews a little bit, we... Uh, kind of become a little bit downcast and and maybe our mind begins to wander because you know we're thinking about 
you know, the challenges that have come our way or the things that, that we have failed at. And I want you to, to, to hear directly from my heart the spirit that this is being given in. It's not coming from a place of judgment or condemnation, but rather it is coming from a place for us to see the process that Christ has given us to walk through the landmines. Because here is the bias that I begin with. Number one, I believe that if Christ is your Lord and Christ is my Lord, there isn't anything that we shouldn't be able to work through. And I believe that we are called to value relationship higher than offense. And Christ says the way that we play that out is, number one, when it happens, we begin with self-reflection and prayer. It's in Matthew 18. In other words, we're called to examine our role in the manner. We're called to take responsibility for the things that we have done. And as we think about that, we gain empathy for the other person or people who are involved. And it's not possible outside of prayer. Prayer fills our hearts with the helpful things, and in it we gain the mind of Christ. And in prayer, there are moments in relation to these things where we see clearly that it can be dealt with in prayer. Maybe we just overreacted. Maybe we didn't understand something. And God releases that understanding, that revelation. And all of a sudden, something that was just all-consuming is put into perspective because prayer has changed our hearts. But if there is work yet to do, Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15, says, go to the person. If the matter remains unresolved, and here's the deal. In the Western church, um, we don't do that very well. We, um, we like to build a team. So we go to somebody because we, we think that they will tell us that we are right, and then they'll be on our side. You know, and that's a trap. There's a real danger in going to everybody except the person you should be talking to. And Christ tells us to go to the person. But as we go to the person, we have to keep the purpose in mind, right? The purpose is to bring resolution. Not to get mad, not to get even, and not to win. But rather to work towards resolution not to win an argument. And then we see that um, that may not provide the solution. Matthew 18, 16 tells us that there may be mediation required. There might be the need for an additional person or two to be involved in this matter. And when we come to that place, it's very important who you invite in. 
It's got to be a person who is neutral, not a person who will take sides. Someone who can ask the right questions, someone who can listen carefully, and someone who can help discover solutions. And you know what? I call all of us to be that kind of person. To be that kind of person. I mean, make that your aim. Lord, I, you know, I, I want to have the wisdom to ask the right questions to help my brothers and sisters. I, I want to have ears that work more than my mouth, and I want to be able to help define a clear path moving forward. And then when that, if that does not get us to where we need to go, the larger group is involved in verse 17, but here's the deal. When Christ is your Lord and Christ is my Lord, I very rarely seen it get to that place where that was needed, but nonetheless, it is there. So I want us to kind of view the authentication of our relationships. Obviously, on what Paul is sharing in verses 7 and 8, but also through the priority that Christ gives us of not walking in offense and not allowing issues to divide us. In both of those voices, remind us that it really all boils down to the heart. (laughs) We see a window into Paul's heart for the church and we see Jesus saying, here's a way to keep your heart pure. So that's how we are going to conclude today. We're going to take a look at our heart. And would you join me by standing as Pastor Marty comes, and then we just are going to have a shared moment where we kind of take inventory. So as you kind of humble your heart and as you begin to have that conversation with the Lord, I would um, just ask you to invite the Lord to speak to you because you know maybe relationship hasn't been a priority for you. Or, or, or maybe you, know, you need to, to go to the next level in some of your relationships and, and have them uh, achieve that, that depth that is found in Christ. Or maybe you've been locked into a pattern where relationships are sabotaged you know, by disagreements and disappointments and things that have divided you and I trust the Lord is going to speak to you and he's just going to say, you know, let's just kind of, let's work on this with my help. So with that, why don't you just have that conversation with the Lord, turn to him in prayer and invite his work into your life.
you're inviting the Lord to be at work in your life on any of those levels, I, would you just kind of open your hands and, and, and raise your arms just as kind of a, a symbolic demonstration of just saying, Lord, I want to receive what you are wanting to give today. Just open your heart, open your life to what the Lord wants to do. And Father, I thank you that you are a God who who meets us where we are at. I thank you, Lord, that you know your word provides insight into our own lives and it calls us, Lord, to a, a higher standard in you. And Lord, I pray that whatever the specific application looks like for each and every one of us, Lord God, may we not turn our back on it, Lord, but may we embrace it. And I pray, Lord, that as we come to you, Lord, in that posture of humility and surrender, I I ask that you would fill up the empty places. I pray that you would give us wisdom, Lord God, where it is needed. I pray that, that there would be, Lord, a commitment and a resolve, Lord, to striving and to working towards and to facilitating a depth of relationship that is only possible in you. And Lord, may every obstacle that is in front of us, Lord God, and may every pain from the past, Lord God, lose their influence. May they lose, Lord God, their their hope-robbing power today because our minds, Lord God, have been lifted and our hearts have been lifted to, 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 to see, Lord, what you purchased on the cross for us. And in every place, Lord God, where there has been brokenness, Lord, may there now be healing and restoration that will not only reside within our hearts, but may it flow, Lord God, into every relationship that we have. So, Lord, I thank you for that today. I pray that we would, we would live up to that standard that just says this as we are able, live at peace with all men. And Lord, we're just saying we're going to do our part. And we're going to pray, Lord God, for those who are involved, that they would do the same. So, Lord, we love you. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, for this this community and this church family. And I pray, Lord God, that our relationships, Lord, would not be shallow. May they be deep and may we pour our lives out, Lord, for one another out of a place of love and affection. Every head remaining bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give opportunity today for you to have this kind of of work active in your life. Because it does not happen outside of Christ. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I I know all about pain. I know all about brokenness. I know all about shallow relationship and unmet expectations. And you're saying, you know, I I want uh, the ultimate relationship that changes them all, and that is with Jesus. I need to take that step of establishing Christ as my Lord and Savior and having relationship with Him and making Him the Lord of my life. If there's anyone here that would want to take that step today, we want to just pray a prayer with you that establishes that commitment through prayer. I just
just like to know who you are by seeing your hand before I join you in prayer, anyone at all, saying, I, I want to I take that step, make Christ my Lord and my Savior. Lord, we thank you for the time that we've shared today. Lord, I, I pray that as we leave, may we go in your grace and in your peace. I pray that your favor, Lord God, would rest upon your people. And may you watch over us and keep us. And may you bring us back again very soon and safely. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We hope this has been a blessing in your life, and we look forward to having you joining us in person for a service soon. Our service times are Thursday nights at 7 o'clock and two services on Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. God bless you.